Okie dokie. Good morning, Glasgowlem. Still morning. How are we doing? We doing okay? Good stuff. I'm going to share with you just very briefly this morning, it's preacher's honour, it will be brief, um, before we return to a place of ministry and then hand over to Cheryl uh, to share with us an update. Isn't it great to have Cheryl with us today? Over the summer period, we're going to be spending some time drawing from the Psalms. And last Sunday, James kicked us off by speaking very powerfully from Psalm 137. Over the next couple of Sundays, Gary's going to be drawing from a psalm each of the the Sundays. And the psalms are one of my favorite sections of the Bible. Because within this collection of songs, there is a psalm for every occasion. It doesn't matter the season that we're in, good, bad, or indifferent, there is poetic wisdom, spiritual revelation, anchors for the soul within these verses that make up these phenomenal texts. And I think it's amazing the way that different psalms can evoke different experiences. Different psalms can comfort us, encourage us, move us to worship, even provide an outlet for us to vent our anger or frustration. Because newsflash, is okay to vent your anger and frustration at God, when you're angry with him, because he sees the heart, so he knows how you're feeling anyway, so you'd as well to tell him and be honest. And if you spend any time in the Psalms, it's a given that you will have a Psalm that is your go-to scripture. The Psalm that you turn to when you need inspiration and encouragement. The text that is the go-to text when you need that comfort blanket for the soul. And I think if I was to try that difficult task of singling out one psalm as an all-time favorite, the psalm I probably would pick would be Psalm 91. Now, it doesn't matter where you're at with this psalm. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter where you've been. These words will always reveal God's heart to us. And the good news is we don't have time to unpack the whole psalm properly. That would take weeks, and I'm going on holiday on Friday. So instead, we just touch down on one verse, the first verse. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Stunning words, aren't they? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. As we head into summer, this verse highlights for us an important theme, the theme of rest. And it's important for us to understand that as believers, we are called to an experience of rest. That doesn't often come across in our church culture when we talk about you need to go to this and you need to attend that and you need to sign up for this and you need to sign up for that and wherever you are, you're always on for Jesus. You always have to take every moment and seize every moment for God and share your faith wherever you are and be an example and be a witness and serve others. And you know, all of that to a degree is true. We are always on for Jesus. We do have to live as examples and witnesses to him. But when we begin to build into our lives the regular rhythm of rest, that is when we can then become the best example of Jesus and the best witness of Jesus. And the Bible actually speaks quite extensively on the subject of rest. 
It starts right at the very beginning. Very good place to start. That's Maria from The Sound of Music. But it starts in the creation narrative. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2. But it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. In these verses, we are specifically told that as God gave the earth a shape and a form, as he organized the world into order and established its function, he took time to rest. Specifically, the creative creation narrative tells us God spent six days shaping our world, establishing order in the chaos, and on the seventh day, we're told he rested. That's an interesting statement because the obvious question that comes to mind is, well, why? Why did he rest? Why did he need to rest? He's God. Why does he need to rest? Isaiah 40 boasts of him. He never slumbers nor sleeps. He never gets tired or weary. So if that is the case, why did he need to rest? The answer is, he didn't. And this is a powerful truth for our hearts to grasp. Our God is a God that doesn't need to rest. That's how powerful he is. That's how magnificent he is. He doesn't need to rest. So if he doesn't need to rest, then why does it say in Genesis 2 that he rested? Well, in some translations of the Bible, on the word rest, it provides a footnote giving an alternative translation for the word rest, and its alternative translation is ceased. On the seventh day, he ceased from all of his works. And this is helpful to us because it helps us to understand that God didn't rest because of tiredness or fatigue. He simply ceased his work. And when we read that, we can also begin to build a definition of what rest is. In theological circles, there's this term called the law of the first mention, where it's believed by theologians that the first time a word is mentioned in the Bible, it's given its fullest meaning and its fullest definition. And if that's the case, then that would suggest to us that to rest is to cease from work and effort. It's to pause. It's to stop. It's to have a break to relax. Now in the natural order of things, we understand that there are many benefits to rest. Rest is key to healing. Have we ever really thought about that? Rest is key to healing. When someone is sick or someone is ill, what's the first thing we say to them? We say, rest up. Make sure you rest. Take a break. Do you need time off? Should you be going on holiday? Slow down. Whenever anyone's out, we tell them to rest because rest is important for the recovery of strength, for recharging the batteries, for restoring energy levels. Rest brings with it a sense then of refreshing and renewal. Isn't it amazing that something as simple as rest, something as simple as just stepping away, pausing, relaxing, has such profound benefits. And Genesis 2 tells us why. God spent time creating earth for humanity. 
He created a structure, an environment suitable for human existence. He created everything that we could possibly need. And he created rest. Day one, light and dark, day and night. Day two, he separated the waters, creating sea and the sky. Day three, he gathered the waters together, creating land, commanding the land to come to life with plants and vegetations. Day four, lights to govern the sky and to govern the times and the seasons, the sun, the moon, the stars. Day five, the waters are commanded to teem with life, as are the skies and fish and creatures and birds come into being. Day six, living creatures appear on the land and then God creates the pinnacle of his whole creation. He creates man and woman. And then on day seven, God creates rest. Every single day, God created that which was necessary for life. Every day he created that which was fundamentally mandatory for existence upon the earth. If you think about it, he created it, he created mankind and he said, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over all of this. It's all for you. He created everything that was part of his design and plan for us. And day seven was no different. God created rest. He created rest as part of his design for us. As mandatory and necessary for us. Now, Those of us who know our creation story well know that at the end of each of the days, God looks at that which he's created and he announces that it's good. For five days, he announced his pleasure within creation. And then on day six, as God created his masterpiece, He announces not just that that which he's created is good, but in fact he declares that it's very good. God's pleasure peaked with humanity. However, day seven gets quite a different announcement. There's no declaration of pleasure. He doesn't say that something's good or that something's very good. In fact, he announces something quite different. On day seven, he releases blessing into creation. God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. That's massive. God announces and reveals his pleasure in every aspect of creation. Every day he announces that it's good or that it's very good, but he releases his blessing in rest. And that tells us something quite important. There is blessing in rest. There is blessing to be found in the experience of rest. But actually, we can take that a step further again because God does something else on day seven that he doesn't do any other day. If you look at verse three again, it says, then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He declares that the day of rest is holy. And holy not as in pure and perfect, holy not as in sinlessly perfect, but holy as in set apart. Could it be that God intends for periods of rest to be set apart for him? Could it be that God's intention is for rest to be the conduit through which he meets with us 
and reveals himself to us. Maybe that's why the moment that he turns up in the garden to meet with Adam and Eve and have an encounter with them is described to us as the cool of the day. Just that description, the cool of the day, carries with it that sense of relaxing and resting. And if you pardon the pun, chilling in the cool of the day. And yet that's the moment that God chooses to turn up and interact with humanity because God intends for periods of rest to be moments, conduits through which he meets with us. This is why the Bible calls out throughout the scripture the importance of rest. And furthermore, could it be that the reason why rest is profoundly spiritual and the reason why blessing is released through rest and the reason why God intends to meet with us through the experience of rest is because the very realm of God, the very realm of heaven, the dimension where God is and where he is encountered face to face, is the realm where we're told strivings and sorrows cease. The realm of God is the realm of rest. And when our time on earth is over, the ultimate revelation of God, the ultimate meeting of him is in heaven, the realm where we're told there is no striving and there are no struggles and there's no difficulty and there's no toiling and there's no working. It's the realm of rest. In fact, the Bible describes us entering into heaven as entering into our rest. We enter into our ultimate rest when we enter into heaven. Heaven then is the ultimate blessing, the holiest place, the dimension that's all about meeting with him and experiencing him. And therefore, could it be that heaven on earth is found within an experience of rest? God comes into the garden within a moment of rest. Heaven is found on earth within this moment of rest. Heaven, the ultimate reality, is the place where we enter into our rest. So when we expose ourselves or or embody a position of rest, we replicate the conditions of heaven on the earth. Rest is profoundly spiritual. It's a conduit of his blessing. So how do we, as we are about to enter into this season of summer where we intentionally build in the experiences of rest, how do we embody those moments of rest that are filled with heaven? Well, we come back to the psalm and notice the call. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The rest that we are called to, the rest that is filled with heaven, isn't about periods of inactivity. It's actually about resting in his shadow. True rest, spiritual rest, rest that releases blessing, brings the experience of heaven on earth, is found when we come to that place, yes, of stopping and ceasing, but when we then in those moments bring the soul into the shadow of God. What does that even mean? Well, let's bring it into land and explore that. We only really have time to touch base on one point this morning, so let's jump into that. And that which we embody, that which we can do, that which resting in his shadow causes these moments of encountering heaven is found when we choose to embody proximity to him. To be in someone's shadow means that you've got to be closer. 
whether you look at this phrase in the psalm figuratively or literally, to be in someone's shadow means that you're up close and personal with them. Right now as I'm standing here, the lights are casting my shadow across this stage, this platform. Where you're sitting right now, you aren't in my shadow. To be in my shadow, you'd need to come and be where I am. You need to come close to me. Resting in the shadow of God is all about proximity. It's all about coming close to him. It's all about being where he is. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness. And Jesus himself made this clear. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus talks about rest here, and he describes it as release from weariness and burdens. And this transformation, this freedom in the innermost being is found in coming to him. Rest is found in coming close to Jesus, as in coming in proximity to him. And we know that it's found in coming close to him or intimacy with him because Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. A yoke was an agricultural tool. It was a wooden beam that was used to join two animals together so that rather than being two animals pulling independently of one another, they would become one, one force at work. Jesus says that rest is found in coming close to him. It's found in being united to him, connected with him. It's found in oneness with him. And here is the amazing thing. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Rest is given by Jesus. It's released from Jesus to us. It's a ministry of Christ. It's the work of Christ. It's not of ourselves. And if it's from him and it's released from him and it's all about him and it's got nothing to do with us, then that means that it is profoundly supernatural and it's entirely spiritual. What makes this even more interesting is that Jesus talks about rest while he uses an analogy about work. He talks about rest while talking about work. And you're kind of like, Jesus, have you got your metaphors mixed up here? But no, he hasn't. The point he's making here is this. Life is hard work. It is impossible to go through life without encountering struggles and without encountering strife, without facing difficulties and hardship. It is impossible to go through life without becoming tired and wearied and burdened. But Jesus says in that journey, if you will pursue connection with me, I will release rest into your soul. I'll bring about a transformation within you. I'll bring freedom. I'll release power and presence into your life. Because when we come into oneness with him, when we choose to connect with him, unite with him, yoke with him, it means two things. Firstly, we are never on our own because we're united to the saviour of the world. Doesn't matter where we go, doesn't matter what environment we face ourselves in, doesn't matter what we are facing, we are never alone. He is always with us. But if he is with us and if we are yoked to him and united to him, then his power becomes our power. His strength becomes our strength. His ability 
becomes our ability. To be yoked means to no longer journey as two independent entities, but to journey as one, one force, one force of energy, one force of strength. When we yoke with Christ, then we are united to his power and his energy and his strength. That means that every situation we walk into, we have the full force of heaven at our back. And that makes oneness with him a source and a place of rest. doesn't mean that we go through life and never face difficulties or trials or struggles. It just means that when you enter into the harder seasons of life and you face the difficult experiences of life, as you enter into those moments, entering into that moment with you is the full force of heaven, is the saviour of the entire World and rest is found then when we cease from trying to navigate that in our own strength and might and instead move into intimacy and closeness with Him. In that moment, His power and energy enters that moment. This is why the psalmist says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. He says, Even though I'm surrounded, even although I'm facing trials and difficulties and hardship, there is a place of rest in the midst of that. And the place of rest in the midst of that is a place of communion with him. It's a place of intimacy with him. And as I pursue intimacy with him, he releases his anointing and his empowerment into my life and he refreshes my soul. It's about finding rest by drawing in proximity to him. Spending time with him. As we enter into summer, we enter into a season and a period in which we intentionally build in moments of rest. There is blessing released in rest. There is incredible power and experience to be found in rest. It is incredibly and powerfully spiritual and significant. But that spiritual significant blessing, those moments of rest are turned into moments that are filled with heaven when we make those moments, not just moments of ceasing and stopping, but moments when we cease and we stop and we draw near to him. And we move the soul in proximity to him. In those moments, heaven invades. It's when we yoke ourselves to him, when we make intimacy, oneness, unity, a connection with him, our priority. And suddenly we begin to find that he draws near, his presence invades, transformation takes place, and blessing is found. This summer, as you enter into your moments of rest, find proximity. To Jesus. Draw close to him. Do that that brings you nearer to him. And watch and listen. Suddenly his voice becomes clearer than it's ever been and his presence comes nearer than you've ever known because when you yoke with him, you learn from him and you encounter his heart. Let's pray together.